Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. I'll let him get off stage. (laughs) That young man, listen, that young man is one of the best things about this church. If uh, you have children, had him as your middle school uh, minister, Heather and I couldn't be more pleased. Sam's an amazing young man. But if he starts to walk out while I'm preaching, would you tell me? Because he about scared the life out of Natalie, and I don't want that to happen while I'm preaching. Natalie's sweet. I don't know what I'd say. So uh, just point it out if it happens. Hey, if you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark, and uh, very grateful that you joined us for worship today. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and uh, we welcome you to Christ Church and hope that you can participate in worshiping Jesus uh, with us this morning. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke seven thirty six is where we'll take off. If you are visiting, let me tell you, this is our fourth week in the seventh chapter of Luke. Our, our gospel series has been intended to take the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and combine them together in a chronology of the life of Jesus. And we're taking our precious time with this and focusing on who Jesus is. The goal of Christ Church is to help believers in Jesus discover completeness in him. And this series is to help us do that to discover who we are in Christ and experience all that he has for us. And this is our fourth week in Luke 7 because it's a very, very rich chapter. And so we decided to break it up this way. In the first 10 verses of Luke 7, uh, there's a story where Jesus healed a slave and the owner came to him by faith and Jesus healed. And Michael DeFazio uh, spoke on that passage and he said that whoever you are, Jesus is willing and able to make you whole. Whoever you are, he's willing and he's able. And then in verses 11 through 17, we saw Jesus raise a widow's son in a funeral procession. And we learned that the resurrection power that Jesus displays answers our deepest questions and eliminates our greatest doubts. And what do we do to live our entire lives knowing that one day we're going to die? The resurrection power, what it does is it answers the deepest questions of how we live and it erases our greatest doubts. And then last week we looked at verses 18 through 35 when John the Baptist from prison asked Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we wait for somebody else? And what we learned is Jesus won't leave us without doubts, but he will give us enough to believe in. That doubt is going to be a part of our walk of faith. And yet Jesus will give us enough through the resurrection and enough through who he is to believe in him. So today we're going to continue in the seventh chapter and we're going to talk to you a story about the heart. It's actually an interaction Jesus had with two people, with a Pharisee and with a woman who had a poor reputation in her community. And we're going to see in this interaction what happens when our hearts are hard. So we're going to talk about the symptoms of a hard heart. You see, there's a medical condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, HCM. Now, what's fascinating to me is I was talking to two of the doctors in our church, and I said, here's what I'm thinking about doing. This hardening of the heart spiritually has its equivalency to a degree in the physical realm. Now, what's fascinating to me is two different people who have this condition that were in first hour came and saw me in the hallway and gave me a hard time over it, and they're like, you were talking about me, weren't you? And uh, what the doctors did to help them with their condition. But this condition is where the heart muscles become thick, and so thick that it's hard for the blood to leave the heart, forcing the heart to work harder to pump blood, 
and it makes it harder for the heart to relax and fill with blood. I think it is the equivalent. When I'm talking to you about a spiritual hard heart, I'm talking about a heart that has become so stiff to its natural need and its natural function that it can't do what it was created by God to do. And so the treatment of HCM is quite fascinating. But I want to talk to you about the symptoms of the hard spiritual heart and how do we respond to this. And there's a moment in Jesus' engagement with mankind where he seems to address it. Look at verse 36 with me. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. It's going to be very important that those who have ears this morning hear and those who have eyes look at the scripture and listen because there's some detail that Luke provides that's very instructive into seeing what's taking place in the room. I want to give you the first symptom you can draw from this. A hardened heart does the right thing for the wrong reasons. Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus, this young rabbi, this this new teacher that was drawing a crowd, as one of the Pharisees, as one of those who had a right standing in the community, as the teacher of teachers and the protector of the faith. You see, the apostle Paul was a Pharisee, yet when Paul met Jesus, he would say to his audience, imitate me as I what? As I imitate Christ. Paul says, follow the example that I'm living because I'm going to follow the example Jesus gave me. The Pharisees of Jesus' day would say, imitate me, period. And so they would invite this young teacher in to assess him. And they invited him to a dinner at their house. Why would they invite him to the house? To have an opportunity away from the crowds to question him, to find out what the curiosity was all about. A dinner invitation in that day was held by the rich and the prestigious in the community. And if you were invited in, it was an A-list dinner and you received status in the community for this. Simon did a good thing. He just did it for the wrong reason. You see, at the Pharisee's house, they would eat the right food and they would drink the right wine and they would use the right utensil and they would actually know how to do that and they would be served well and they would be catered to and people would gather. We're told that in that culture, because their houses weren't built to entertain like this, they would have patios or porches which most of these things would take place in the cool of the early evening. And so the crowds would gather, like a Hollywood premiere, if you will, with a red carpet. The crowd would gather around the house to see who was invited and what they were eating and listen in on the conversation. You see, Simon had him in for the right, he did the right thing, he just did it for the wrong reason. A second descriptor, maybe, of a hardened heart is they despise when things aren't done appropriately. In other words, there's a way to do it, and it's my way. Verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I want to pause here for a moment. If you're sitting here right now going, oh, isn't that sweet? Nope. Not at all. That's nasty. This is a woman, you know, one of those women. Everybody in town knew her. Everybody, you know, knew her. Everybody knew what she did. Everybody knew how often she did it. Everybody knew that she wasn't the kind of woman invited to this party. She crossed the lines. She entered into the room. And then she comes in and she's crying. She's not sniffling. It's not like she has an allergy. She's weeping to get a chance to be near Jesus. 
And then she grabs his feet. Now it says she's behind him. So imagine that Jesus is laying most likely on his right side up against a, a, a table that's not really a table. It's maybe 18 inches off the ground surrounded by these big throw pillows. Picture me on a college football Saturday lying on my couch watching television. You got the image. There's just no nachos and salsa where Jesus is. And there he's eating, and this woman comes in behind him. She's not invited, and she's that kind of woman. And then she begins to cry, and she's drawing attention to herself. And then her tears are flowing so much that this isn't a fake, insincere. She's weeping so much that tears are pouring that she's using them to wipe Jesus' feet because when she comes in, she realizes Simon didn't take care of him. And then, if that's not awkward enough, she undoes her hair and begins to wipe between his toes, the filth off of his feet with her hair. So if you're sitting there going, oh, this is so sweet, stop it, it's not. Now I'm going to confess something about myself so you understand why I react this way to this text. I embarrass way too easily. And when I get embarrassed, my only reaction is flight. I have to get out of that situation. So I'm very protective about putting myself in situations. Now let me confess something. Please don't judge. And I'm not making fun, but it's truth. Do y'all remember back when churches had special music? Do you remember when it wasn't so special? I mean, can we be honest? Having started ministry in the mid-80s, there was always one person in church who thought they could sing, I'm going to date myself, a Sandy Patty song. Now, the reason people bought Sandy Patty albums is she's one of five people in the world that God gave the vocal ability to hit those notes. But oh no, every church had one who was trying. And Sunday morning would become amateur hour. And some of you were going, well, at least they were trying. I'm trying to tell you something about myself. When that happened, I had to leave the stage. I couldn't compel myself to stay there. Not that I was embarrassed for them. I would just become overwhelmed with this, ah, and I would have to leave. And they would make fun of me because I'd be sitting on stage and the special music wasn't so special and I would dismiss myself to the back of the room and walk around going, oh, please, Lord, please. I have a flight panic when I get embarrassed. And the worst thing is both of my boys got it too. And I watch them and I'm going, oh, you're going to have to figure this out because you can't run away from everything. And there's Simon, there's Jesus, and there she is. And it's embarrassing and it's loud And she's uninvited, and it ought not to be happening. Verse 20 or 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, notice that, pay attention to detail. He doesn't say it out loud. He's just thinking. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Simon's worst social nightmare just occurred. On a night that it was supposed to be about him and his generosity and his hospitality, she's made it about her and she wasn't invited and Jesus should be telling her, stop it. You weren't invited and the way you've lived your life, you shouldn't have been invited. Can you feel Simon glaring at the woman? Can you feel her sorrow? Can you hear the noise she's making? This isn't subtle. This isn't quiet. You know, this isn't the, the, the waiter or waitress who's come and filled your, your iced tea all the way to the top and you didn't even notice them. This is the one who gets in at your table and starts getting into your conversations. And you're like, excuse me? And they, why don't you sit down and have a meal with us, you know? She's in this moment and it's not supposed to be. Then she unloosens her hair. Nobody does that. And I guarantee you, Simon would never let his hair down for Jesus. And that's why Luke's telling us this story. 
Because Simon would never loosen his hair for anybody. That's undignified. Simon is stunned. The sight of this filthy, disrespectful woman doing this filthy, disrespectful thing inside of everybody. It isn't right. And one of the hardness of hearts that you and I have to be very careful of, I know I do, is when spiritually my heart is more worried about what's right than what's righteous. What's the best thing, even if it makes me uncomfortable? I fight that all the time. Because when I get embarrassed, I flee. Or I get frustrated and angry and guarantee that'll never happen again under my watch. I thought it was really funny that Sam walked out early. God's got a great sense of timing, doesn't he? See, she could not contain her desire. She could not contain her love. She could not contain the fact that she saw Jesus not treated well, and she would be undignified. While the most dignified man in the room missed the opportunity. The third descriptor is not only did he do the right things for the wrong reasons, he despised things not done the way he thought they should be done. A hardened heart dismisses personal responsibility. Simon was so worried about how everybody else was behaving that he missed it. Verse 40, Jesus answered him. Notice, I love that. Jesus answered a guy who didn't say anything. <laughs> He's good. Simon's like, ah, oh, he should know. He should stop this. And Jesus goes, huh, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now let's pause here for a second. Let's put it into a way we can understand what Jesus just said. A denarii would have been a day's wages. So I'm going to just round it to make it easier. He said one guy owed his master two months wages. So let's just say $36,000 seems to be an average income in this community. And so you look at that and you say, okay, so one person owed him $6,000 and the other person owed him $75,000, the 500 denarii. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose that what... I suppose? Seriously, you can't do the math on this one? Somebody's forgiven $75,000 and someone's forgiven $6,000. Which one would be more appreciative? I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. I don't know if Jesus is sarcastic. I think he is. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. You did the simple math. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman, which is funny? That's all anybody saw. Have you noticed this woman? Now, here's what I want you to differentiate. Jesus doesn't say to him, do you see what she's doing? What did he ask him? Do you see her? And Simon hadn't. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. I suppose... Simon, do you see her? It's all he's seen for the last hour. It's all he's thought about. She opened the perfume, filled the room. Everybody smelled it. Too much perfume will gag you. She poured this whole jar out on his feet. Her hair would have been oily and dirty now. She would have appeared more dirty than when she walked in socially. 
Do you see her? Do you see what she's doing and why she's doing it? Her sins have been forgiven because she's loved me. She loves me because she knows I loved her. See, the evidence of a heart for God is a heart that has asked for and received life-giving forgiveness. I want to say that one more time so you understand what I just said. The thought of the morning is that the evidence of a heart for God is a heart that has asked for and been willing to receive life-giving forgiveness. For many of us, we ask for it, but we won't let Jesus be what we need him to be to bring it to us. Or we want him to be that to a degree, but we don't really ask for it. See, Simon's problem is the reason Simon didn't know the answer to the easy question, the reason he couldn't answer who loves more, the one forgiven a whole lot or the one forgiven a whole little, is because Simon never really saw himself as needing either. I don't know. I've never been forgiven. Well, why wouldn't you be forgiven? Because I'm a Pharisee. Imitate me. I do it the right way. I'm your example. I'm better I don't need all of this. That guy, he needs a lot. That lady, a ton. But I've never needed it. That's why he's supposed. You see, Simon did the right things for the wrong reasons. He despised people when things weren't done the way he wanted them done. And he dismissed any responsibility he had to live this out for himself. And then a hardened heart misses the blessings of Jesus' presence. This is the worst thing that happened to Simon. He didn't understand who was sitting in his house, eating at his table. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus said, she's loving me because she knows I love her. She couldn't contain herself. She couldn't stop herself. She went through social walls. She went through physical difficulties, and she humiliated herself so that Jesus would not be treated in any way less than he deserved. Simon sat there, judging someone for loving. And the reason he judged someone for loving, because he didn't have any. He didn't love Jesus. He couldn't understand what Jesus was all about. People with hard hearts love little because they've tied their salvation to being right, to being ordered, and to being solid citizens. We have to be really careful, church. One of the signs of a hard heart spiritually is when you're grateful that Jesus forgives others and you've forgotten he forgave you. Or as the Psalm 51 says, when David writes that great psalm at his worst public and moral failure, he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I love what the contemporary English version does with that verse. It translates it this way. Restore to me the joy of the day I was saved. Remind me where I've come from. Remind me what you've done for me. Never let me forget how much you forgave me. You see, the evidence of a heart for God is a heart that has asked for and received life-giving forgiveness. You and I will miss the presence of Jesus in our everyday lives if we think having the right answers is the cure to our condition. And we will miss the presence of Jesus in our everyday lives if we think by doing things in a proper way makes worship about how we worship instead of who we worship. And you and I will miss the presence of Jesus in our everyday lives if we excuse our responsibility to be people of gratitude. 
and allow others to do that for us. You see, almost every kind of human interaction is an I will if you will proposition. This is how we humans engage one another. I will love you if you'll love me. I will serve you if you'll serve me. I'll be generous to you if you then one day will be generous to me. And it's kind of our nature. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it is what it is. That to do something absolutely selfless takes more out of us than any other action. But this give and take, this quid pro quo, I will if you will. But here's the beauty of God. There's none of that. God says, I will love you. That's it. I will love you if you don't love me. I will serve you when you won't serve me. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. I will sacrifice for you when you will not sacrifice for me. It's in that moment that we understand that the love of God is this pursue, pursuing, deep, abiding, for me love. And there's nothing that I can do to make him love me more. There's no action I will take today. There's no foot washing of Jesus and no letting the hair down and doing all the filthy things and humiliating myself socially. None of that makes me love God more. But when I understand how much he loves me, all of those things come with it. Not because God's going to love me more, because he already loves me enough. She came across the wall into an uninvited room and humiliated herself publicly because she couldn't help herself. Jesus said, that's because she loves me. And she loves me because she knows I love her. Simon, you don't know I love you because you won't let me forgive you. Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only thing. Why do we do what we do? Why do we respond to Jesus? Why do we gather to worship? We can get caught up and I go to the right church and I do it the right way and we have the right doctrine and we do this and this. If you're looking for that church, you've come to the wrong place. Here's what we believe here. You'll find completeness in Jesus when you let him complete you. When you let his love, his mercy, and his grace rewrite your story, you will give everything in your life for him. You'll sacrifice any cost and do anything that matters. You'll cross the line, you'll humiliate humiliate yourself in public and you'll proverbially let your hair down no matter what people think that's what she did so what's the cure for a hardened heart how do we do this verse 49 and 50 the other guests began to say amongst themselves who is this who even forgives sins Jesus said to the woman your faith has saved you listen carefully go in peace go in wholeness Right with God, right with man. Go without shame. Go without pain. Go without guilt. Go without remorse. Live in forgiven love and you will love like you've never loved before. So my friend Wayne comes out and said he had this surgery for HCM. I said, what'd they do? He said, well, they cut a chunk of my heart out on both ends. He said, my body flows one liter of blood more per minute than any of yours do. That's good, isn't it? So how do you soften a hard heart? You let God cut out the pieces that aren't working. You go to him and you say, I need forgiven of my attitude. I need forgiven of my actions. I know you love me and I know you're not going anywhere and I know I can't do anything to get more love from you. So I'm going to accept the position. But there's parts of me, God, that I don't like about myself. And when you get to the point where you can go to God and say, why do I do this? God's like, now we're talking. And my Holy Spirit 
And the word of God is going to work in your life. And slowly but surely, we're just going to take away the hardened parts and replace them with a brand new heart. Because that's what God does best. So what am I supposed to do? So I'm going to give you two things to think about. First is this. The strength of our hearts is dependent on our gratitude to God. Be grateful. Now, I don't say, I don't say act grateful. Be grateful. Would you vow this, this day... And for the next seven days, you're going to rewrite your, your morning story. Now, for some of you, morning is as late as 11.59 a.m. I get you. And for some of us, a little bit earlier. But whatever your morning story is, would you commit to five minutes less sleep? I know, I'm meddling now. Five minutes less sleep to wake up in the morning before you get out of bed, or maybe you go sit in a chair For five minutes, you just wake up, and every minute of those five minutes, you just tell God something about him that you appreciate and value and cherish. So for one minute, I talk about the the forgiveness of my Jesus. For the next minute, and I may not say anything else, but just sit for a minute. Let my heart soften to the goodness of my God to allow the blood to flow one liter more a minute than anybody else's. And just spend some time. Read the Psalms and hear Here in the echoes of the Psalms, people saying to God, you're really good. You're really generous. You're really faithful. Be grateful. Do things that grateful people do. Stop. Be appreciative. Pay attention. You see, the twist in the story is that Simon didn't see himself as $6,000 or $75,000 in debt. He thought everybody else was. It wasn't until his heart would be softened that he could see Jesus for who he was. Because when Jesus said, do you see this woman? Jesus knew he didn't see her, and Jesus knew he didn't see him. You see, she gave because she believed in Jesus, and she was forgiven. She didn't care what it cost her. She didn't care who said what. Be grateful and express it. Don't just think it. Express it. Be the kind of person who acknowledges the goodness of God in circumstances. Cross the social lines, even if you're known as one of those people. Cross the line and wash his feet. Make sure that Jesus is receiving what Jesus deserves from you today. Oh, you've already started your day and it's Sunday and you've sung some songs and we're thinking together and processing this and the Holy Spirit's working in our minds and hearts. I believe every bit of that is true. But would you take some time today to be grateful and have a conversation with the lover of your soul about how much that means to you? The second is the strength of our hearts is contingent upon our gratitude being offered to those who need forgiveness. I think this is one of the reasons Luke recorded the story. Simon is not sent to hell. Simon has not been judged as irredeemable. Simon is being challenged to understand that when you are forgiven, forgiving someone else is the fruit of your gratitude. You see, in our country, oh my goodness, I've been alive a half a century. I've never seen anything. And I don't remember the 60s. I've seen a lot of documentaries. Glad I was born in 65 and not 55. But I don't know the 60s, but I know the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the last two decades. And I'm telling you, we're divided. We're trying to solve it with politics and policies and laws and nonsense. It's only going to be decided by love. 
It's going to be when somebody crosses the line, lets down their hair, and washes the feet of Jesus, and in doing so, washes the feet of an enemy, and washes the feet of those that are against them, and washes the feet of those who say their policies and their politics are all nonsense. When we put away the powers of the world and rely on the power that Jesus gave us, we will cross lines, let down our hair, and wash feet. Unity in our country is not going to happen because of government. It's going to happen when the church stands out and stands for something, and that something is Jesus. Not the Jesus of politics, or the Jesus of division, or the Jesus that's used to make people in our, in our country feel lesser. No, the Jesus that comes in and sits down and offers love to even Simon, or Mark, or you fill in the blank. The question of the day is, the evidence of a heart for God is a heart that asks for and receives life-giving forgiveness and then loves as generously. Be grateful. Be loving. There are opportunities every day without question for those things to happen. And then I believe that as we become grateful, our hearts become softer to the presence And we don't get caught up in it has to be done just my way. It has to be done this way. I believe even in the church, if we were less worried about what people around us thought, in fact, if we were less worried about what our spouses would think, if during a moment of worship, we became undignified. I've had several people in this church go, you know, sometimes I just feel like get down the aisle and dancing. Well, we're not going to escort you out if you do. Some people feel like there's going to be an usher with a big hook from the 16th century that's going to drag you out and put you in stocks in the middle of the community. You're not going to do that. If you don't dance well, we might give you tips. Who knows? But in all honesty, church, if you can be more animated at a high school football game than you can be in worship, if you're more excited about a show you go see in Kansas City than you are of gathering in the presence of the Holy Spirit and God's people, I don't want to turn this into a free-for-all where it's a look at me Holy smoke, it ought to be exciting when we look at him. And it ought to raise the temperature. And we have to walk out like David. We danced in our underwear and people criticized us and David went, yeah, get over it. I'm not asking that we demonstrate to demonstrate. And there will be things you don't like on a Sunday when we gather. I get it. It's too loud. Why do we need smoke? You know, I didn't like that song. Mark was off his game or he's never on his game. I get it. At the end of the day, church, the challenge is this. Are you grateful for what Jesus Christ has offered you? And can you love with the love you've received like a $75,000 debtor who was told, now we're good? Because that's the freedom that will soften your heart and allow the love of Christ to be our testimony. Let's praise that Jesus. Let's lift up his name. And let's make what we do in worship about who we worship, not just how we do it. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.